Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. I'm your host, Anthony Corcoran. Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. Today I've got Mick Downer, head coach of the Canterbury Rams and the New Zealand National Basketball League with me today. So welcome, Mick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on again. Great to connect again too since you've been over in New Zealand. I've been following closely what you've been doing over there with the, with the Rams and the Canterbury uh, organisation as well. So we'll dig into that in a little bit of detail and talk a little bit too about what you've been up to on, on your recent trip to Australia. So... Um, yeah, so uh, I guess just wanted to touch on a, a few of a bit of your background in terms of uh, where you've been and and the experiences you've had. Obviously, a lot of people here in Brisbane know you as assistant coach of the Brisbane Bullets uh, for about three years there as a high performance and development manager, and also the work that you did with the Boomers from 2013 to 16, and it, you know obviously going to the to the Olympics as well in 2016. I guess the first thing I just wanted to normally start with is you know like where did it all start for you how did you get involved in basketball and uh, obviously I know you were a player as well back in the day so uh oh very very quickly if I can I'm a coach so I like to hear the sound of my own voice um I went to a tiny little primary school um and in Logan area and we had a uh, an American uh guy by the name of Audie Matthews uh, a former Brisbane Bullet uh, import, uh, big guy rolled up in a tiny little car to do a clinic at our, at our school one day. And, uh, myself and a whole bunch of, uh, other kids that just love playing any sport, uh, did the, did the clinic and just really enjoyed it. And one of the parents from there organized some teams and, um, we played what eventually became the Southern District Spartans Association. But in the really early days, it was, um, sort of more over on the west side of town um, right. and uh, what's now where the Nissan Arena is, where the Brisbane Bulls are playing now, the, the, the old QE2 Stadium. Used to yep. run around in the old bitumen courts, car parks outside there and, and all the local schools around that area. So that's where I started um, and sort of spent close to 20 years playing um, playing at some level at the, at the Spartans Association. Was the, right. uh, the start of it. Yeah, and did am I right in thinking you played up in Cairns as well? Um, not so much. Oh, not so much played. I uh, by the time we went, we actually lived in Cairns when I was a young fella. Um, uh, Dad moved up there for work, so that was the old the old fish tank when it only had one one indoor court. Um, yep. But we were up there for for a year before we moved back to to Brizzy, all to do with Dad Dad's work. But um, okay, maybe. Around 2000, I think it was early 2000s, uh, I got a job in Townsville at the Queensland Academy of Sport. Uh, oh, nice. So as a head head basketball coach there, I actually worked for uh, Warwick Cairn, um, uh, who was the, the regional services manager up there. And after a couple of years there, uh, there was an opportunity to go to Cairns. Uh, my wife uh, was still playing basketball at the time. They had a general manager and coaching director's position become available when Mark Beecroft um, left that role and um, and went in to be an assistant coach with the Taipans. So yeah, that's that's when we first went to Cairns and uh, we ended up having two stints there a couple of years. And then we went over to Perth um, and I was a high performance manager there in Perth for a, for 
for a year, and then uh, and then the Perth Wildcats had an opportunity to my first year in 0809, coached in the NBL uh, as an assistant coach with the Wildcats, uh, and that was the year that the Cairns Taipans unfortunately fell over. Right. And uh, and then Aaron turned Aaron Fan with uh, Mark Beecroft and Estonahi um, got a group together with the Save the Taipans community club model and. As one door closed at Perth, um, Fernie gave me a call and gave me the opportunity, my lifeline, to come back to Cairns. So um, we we moved back to Cairns, and, and then from there we spent another six or seven years uh, up in the north. Yeah, nice. I guess, you know, with the, the not only being a player, but, you know, like uh, with the coaches you've worked with along the way, along the way yeah. who, who sort of influenced where you're at now with your coaching philosophy and, and do you find that, you know, like what you sort of think now is has been fairly firm all along or do you find it sort of changes uh, from year to year or every every now and then? What, I, what I've found over time is in when you reflect more on experiences and, and journeys, you there's almost um, a greater understanding and, and knowledge that comes from some of the more difficult times or coaches, just like, you know, that old cliche of you seem to either learn more from a loss than a win. Yeah. Um, so there was coaches like I had when I just played at school basketball that at the time I thought were too strict and, you know, it was too fundamental and all, all that sort of stuff. But um, in hindsight now, and I still talk to a lot of these coaches, guys like Des Thurston, uh, Trevor Cook was another one. Everyone that knows Trevor, you know, he's a unique, tough, black and white sort of guy. Um, but I took a lot of learnings from just the discipline and the routine and, and the, the premium on just basic footwork and skill, which is an yeah. area that he's always been passionate about. Um, Jeff Henderson, who was at John Paul College. Um, uh, Al Robinson, who was my first first coach. Um, and another gentleman by the name of Lee Perrick when I played club basketball like they they made basketball fun. And I think if I didn't enjoy basketball as a young kid, I, I definitely wouldn't have um, continued in it. So learning from the people that influenced me when I was a, a young young person, like like everyone, um, you take bits and pieces from all, all different, different walks of life. So the enjoyable times, the people that worked hard, the people that were good with their relationships, um, they were easy to to get on with and then the really difficult ones that at the time, you know, I remember coming out of practices with Trevor probably, you know, swearing my head off in my inside my head, thinking, God, I don't want to do this, you know, and then yeah. but just that discipline, you know, and so you take that. So then when you start coaching yourself, you kind of you pull on those experiences and work out, you know, what's needed in each situation. And so um, that was in the, the early days, my formative days. But obviously since then, I've had a, a, just an absolute luxury to work with some brilliant minds. Bruce Palmer is one of the one of the funniest, craziest, um, you know, charismatic people in the whole game of basketball, but just a brilliant basketball mind. Um, Paul Mellett gave me a really good chance. Paul Mellett was a guy that came up with the Brisbane Bullets and was an assistant coach. And, you know, as a guy in my early 20s, he, he gave me a chance to be an assistant coach in the QBL. Um and I learned a ton from him about how hard you can drive players and, and push players and develop develop them. So a lot of my player development stuff came came from him. Yep. Uh, and and then as it went on, I just I was blessed, you know. In, in more recent times, um, see Aaron Fern, you know, like to, we we had quite a successful stint for a small team in Can- at the Cairns Taipans to go to two grand final series and and do a lot for that. You know, when the club was on its knees to be a mm. part of 
part of turning that around. But, you know, Fernie's thing and the guys that know Fernie is, you know, he's the most, not the most endearing guy. Like he's a straight shooter and, um, but he's genuinely passionate about the game. Um, and, and it gets hard, uh, in the environment at times he's so, you know, that daily routine, you know, rain, hail, sick, healthy, doesn't matter. He just, his ability, his work ethics, um, relentless. So that's something I learned. I learned from him. Yeah. Uh, and what about, uh, I guess, uh, you know, we probably love to hear your experiences in, in working with Andre, like at the, at the bullets and then also with the boomers as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it just kept going. Like I sort of, I mean, I've never taken coaching as seriously. Like I, I was in my early twenties when I kind of stumbled upon it doing club stuff, school stuff, um, you know, ITC, which is now SPP and, um, state teams. And it was always just, I just loved the game. And, um, a lot of my mates now, um, you know, the age that we're at, we've all got families and grown up kids and they're coming or kids that are coming through and yeah. it's great to run into people um, that are still have a connection at some level with the sport. And that's ultimately what the whole thing's about. Um, you know, the sport's the thing that, that, that gives us experiences and connects us as people. And that's been great. And I guess the thing that really hammered home that were guys like, in the, in the boomers environment, um, it's such a brotherhood and yep. it's such a long history um, with that program. And it's something that Andre Lamanis is just amazing and brilliant at is, you know, connecting the heritage and the history of the program. So, like, I mean, I could talk for hours. I won't, but <laughs> every person in that whole um, period of time, the Rio sort of experience, that Olympic that Olympic. Um, um, cycle, you know, from Luke Longley, um, who you know is one of the most celebrated Australian professional players and successful, you know, player in the NBA that that we've had. Mm. You know, he's just the most giving and down to earth um, and knowledgeable person about the game. And I learned so much, particularly about post play and how post players see the game through through their lens. That's something that I think when you're if you're a guard and you're a coach, you know, you're always going to have a bias towards how the game should be played through the lens of a guard's eyes. But but Luke really opened up my thoughts and challenged my um, thinking around how the game can be played, um, you know, and the way that you, you can um, have in post players impact the game in a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah. Um, Dr. Hurley, he was sort of our helicopter, our mentoring coach that I, that sat over the top of all the coaching staff throughout that campaign. And, you know, he was going through um, getting his the book published, the 50-year history of the Australian national team. So every day was an opportunity to learn about the game and the, the history of the game. And so obviously Lindsay Gaze's name came up a lot and, um, and just the endless amount of legends of our game. And, and Doc Hurley was just so giving of um, his experiences and learnings as a young coach, mm. asking him questions. He was my roommate for a bunch of years and, like, it was just an absolute blessing. But the guys in recent times, um, particularly, like, you know, I've known Andre for a long time and that's part of since his days in Townsville as an assistant coach um, yep. with Ian Stacker. Um, there's another name that's that's been great great to me and the, the time, each time I've had a chance to do a little bit um, of work with him. But... Andre ultimately is the one that gave me the opportunity with the national team, um, saw saw the strengths that I had as a person and, and believed in me. And, um, yeah, just even as you see it now um, with the Brisbane Bullets, you know, like 
he's been scrutinised and the program has all season with the, you know, the way they built their roster and um, all that stuff. But he's defended um, his decisions and the way they play and worked his, worked his tail off to work through all the, the stormy waters to try and get this team playing the way that, that his staff envisaged it. And, you know, in the last, you know, the last two months of the season, they've just got better. If you define success by progress, um, mm. this team's really, the team's really got better as the season's gone on and, and bought in and they're, they're right in with the chance right now. So um, Andre and, uh, and CJ and, and Sam, Sammy McKinnon in particular um, from a coaching space have, uh, have been wonderful to be around the last few years at the Bullets. Yeah, yeah, so many uh, great heads there and uh, guys with different playing and, and coaching backgrounds that I think yeah, together you guys obviously work really well and, and probably so much uh, that you achieved that probably wasn't necessarily visible to the average punter from, from the sideline, either following the bullets or the boomers. Yeah, it's um, it, yeah, you just pinch yourself and I'm sure as I get older and, and um, you know, sitting on the golf course one day if I'm successful and, and just, you know, um, enjoying life in uh, in the twilight years. If I ever, if I live that long, I'll um, be reflecting on on all the the, the life journey. And basketball has just been a massive part of, of my life. And I just pinch myself when I think about the people that the sport has been able to open up doors and connect me with. Um, I've got one um, funny, not not so much funny, but one story that sort of. Um, it, when we were at the Rio Olympics, uh, obviously we had quite a uh, you know horrible finish. Um, it's been debated worldwide around the, the rough calls that that we got at the end of the Spanish game um, yeah. to lose that game and and come fourth again. And for people like Luke Longley, that was I think his third or fourth time as a player or on staff around the Boomers that you know that the, the Boomers had missed out on that elusive medal, that first medal. Yeah, and so for all the efforts and the sacrifice that not just the current playing group, but to the people that had come before, like that was a, you know, that was just a gutting, gutting experience um, to lose that, um, to lose that game. And I remember, you know, there was no words. There was no, the emotion was raw and, you know, guys dealt with it different ways after the game in the locker room. But I remember walking out behind the locker rooms and, um, there was like a hospitality section there for when, you know, players and, and coaches and that arrived mm. um, back at house. And, you know, it was, it was a nice sort of setup, but we sort of sat down and um, my all-time sort of, you know, coach that I've absolutely loved is Coach Shevsky at Duke. And uh, he was the, the Team America coach and they were, they were coming in to play the gold medal game. And he walked in and put his hand on the shoulder and, um, you know, I still don't exactly understand the words he said, but it was something on the lines of, you know, keep your head up, you guys should be proud and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, you just were so devastated by the game. I didn't even realise, and it was a, one, of the, one of the managers afterwards and said, um, you know what, who, who that was. And uh, <laughs> so, like, I got to meet Coach K. I couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> afterwards, I was like, holy, holy cow, I, uh, I met Coach K. And uh, I hope I wasn't disrespectful. I'm sure he's... Uh, he knows what that feeling's like when you're in a locker room and the result hasn't gone your way. But yeah, it's just uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing what the sport can uh, can do, and and it it just shows you no matter who they are. And he's obviously a legend of the game, and, yeah. and being in that room with guys like Luke and stuff like that, and sitting down. But the the raw emotion and the highs and the lows of the game, I guess that's the thing that keeps um, our adrenaline going and and the hook that you know that gets us gets us keep gets us going, keeps us in the journey for the long time.
Yeah, yeah. And and like you say, a great experience and probably not the result that uh, everyone went over there to get, but, but still I think uh, the, the learnings and the, the things you take away would have been probably just as valuable. Oh, I, I, absolutely. Like even uh, Will Weaver, who's now doing a great job at the Sydney Kings, you know, he came on board originally as a, you know, Brett Brown and him have a, a long history and he came out just to get a bit of a taste of international basketball and, you know, he's one of those American guys that just he's American, he's charismatic and, you know, well-spoken and that, but he just understood the Aussie culture and, you know, he, he connected with the group. But his experience around, you know, the analytical side of the game and doing the grind in the back office and video and player workouts and, you know, working his way up into the coaching game, like just learning so much from him and the broad network that he has back in the States through the NBA and the G League and, and that, like, everyone has something to offer. Like, you don't you don't get picked or selected in those environments unless you have talent and you can help the group be successful. So, um, sharing and learning and asking questions and being there for each other, like, that's how you that's how you continue to grow. If you're open to growing and and, and you want to keep getting better. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I guess yeah, we could probably talk a little bit now about the adjustments and. and- and you, know, you move over into the New Zealand League. What are the differences that you've seen now, having been there for for a year, in terms of the style of play, or you know, how, how's the New Zealand League different to the Australian NBL? Um, it's a fascinating thing because it's it's so close to home. Like the countries, there's such an overlap with the coaching ranks, the playing groups. Um, you know, it's a smaller uh, it's a smaller league in regards to the number of games. It's only an 18 game regular season, so. It's, yeah. A little bit like you know the QBL now NBL one. Um, you've got to you've got to hit the ground running. Like you can't afford to to drop a bunch of games early because there's just not enough games in the league to to to, um, to find your way back. So, but the the challenge of it is just such the short preseason. Um, mm. Players love playing in it because they can finish in the Australian NBL and and come over and and play in a in a good league that's. Um, filled with a lot of a lot of good players and and, and, and strong coaches and um, and then be back for their for their next season um, back in the Aussie NBL. So the players are, are are well known. The league itself, albeit a professional league, it's still not in a space where you know every team has every player playing basketball as their main income. There's still players that you know work jobs or part time or go to university. So yeah. um, it's sort of there's a it's a professional league, but it has semi-professional um, slash amateur players in it. So that's yeah. a challenge. Um, you know, but, you know, they, they get the sermon every year, but I preach to up like professionalism is not a paycheck. You know, people believe that you know getting getting paid you know can equate to being a pro, but you know to me that's just a set of behaviours and a mindset because there's plenty of um, fortunately we read about it all the time. There's there's people that are paid. Um, professional athletes but you know they they make bad choices or don't don't carry themselves in the right way and uh yeah so the the mindset's a big one and i think culturally is probably the biggest learnings and i still don't don't fully have my my head around it but the new zealand way you know new zealand have a very um proud history um but they do have a, a bit of a situation where you know, outside of rugby, where they're absolutely 100% and rightfully so arrogant and confident about their rugby team, um, they definitely put um, Australia up on a bit of a, a pedestal, I feel, or there's a high level of respect there. 
um, yeah. for what we do. And that presents a challenge because, you know, I feel like the players are, have the ability to be just as talented and they compete, they play really hard. They're physical players. Um, and there's a lot of good, a lot of good um, to work with, um, with the group. But I think that the mindset and culturally to have that belief um, and, 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 and confidence and a bit of swagger, yeah. it's something that doesn't come, you know, naturally to a lot of uh, the New Zealand people. Right. And the Maori culture is a, is a in Pacifica um, influence. Like it's a really multicultural um, country and the government's done a very good job over there of embracing, um, you know, that history and that culture. Um, and so respecting and under, trying to understand, and that's where I'm a long way off with my sort of cultural competency of, of um, the, the Maori and the Pacific um, influence because it's such a big part of the playing group and the coaching and, and just the whole infrastructure of the clubs. Yeah. So, um, then, you know, that's, that's a big part of it because uh, people are really passionate about their history and heritage. So trying to bring all those elements together and um, res- respect them but also use them as a way to, to bring the team together and, and be motivated and enjoy the basketball landscape, um, yeah. bringing people with different backgrounds together um, is, is, I guess, one of the real fun fun challenges that, that coaches and management have. Yeah. Um, so what are, what are some of the other issues that you've had and just in terms of that compressed season, but also say recruiting and that sort of thing. I've, I've had a bit of a look at who you've signed up so far and it looks like a pretty strong group, but obviously getting to that stage hasn't been without its challenges for you. Oh, no, I think, I mean, yeah, I, I try to keep it simple. We've got a short season, a short, pre- a short pre-season. We have two practice games. Um, in the preseason, that's like a little mini blitz tournament. Yeah. Um, so I look at that and go, well, if we're going to recruit guys, they need to be high IQ um, players, and they need to be able to play at both both ends of the floor. And so, like any league, you try and sign all of your local players first, and based on the talents of those local players, that will dictate you know what you need in your import spot. So we have the ability to have three imports in in the New Zealand league. Um, Australians are considered um, imports. All right. So um, the, we, we start with our management group because we're owned by a foundation and we do a lot of work in the community. Um, so it's a lot like the Cairns Taipan sort of model. Right. Um, but that we need guys that no dickhead policy, um, high of character um, and are prepared and truly believe in not just their craft as a basketball player but the impact that they can make in the community. And, mm-hmm. I mean, for that reason, we do have a really strong following um, in, in the Canterbury region. So the, the brand is very strong. It's a great, great place to play. Um, yeah. but getting, getting the best possible import players, um, every coach will tell you they always want more money and a bigger budget, but we're, and we would love that, but we've got enough to put a competitive team on the court every year and give ourselves a really good chance at it. So, um, but talking to agents, uh, the timing of the Australian NBL season, trying to find, players that um, believe that going to New Zealand will help them be a, a gateway to higher leagues. But yep. back in Europe, back up into the G League or back to the Australian NBL, I think that's sort of the, the thing that a lot, of, um, a lot of the coaches over there try and sell, I guess. And that's why you see a lot of young Australian um, NBL players that are, that are good players, but 
for them to come over and do well over there and then in, increase their roles coming back to the Australian NBLs seems to be a, a common recipe. Yeah, and, and you would have been fairly happy with how you went last year. Obviously, you got New Zealand NBL Coach of the Year. Um, you guys made it into the playoffs as well. So um, it's a good start, I think, for your first year in the league. Like, what sort of um, expectations do you have for this upcoming season? Oh, we go in and wanting to win it. I mean, there's no – we're not there to make up numbers and, and that. But, you know, the, the winning is the byproduct of obviously putting it together in a 40-minute game at the end of the season. And mm. like, to get there is the, you know, the, the biggest challenge. Um, and, you know, winning, we had several guys. Like we had Isaiah Wilkins out of Virginia was um, Defensive Player of the Year. Kemi Grimm was Guard of the Year last year. Um, so, you know, I still – I you know, um, I appreciate the acknowledgement from the industry because the, the awards were all voted on by the media, all the coaches and quite a broad group. So it's, it's nice to, to, um, to be acknowledged, but it's not like you'd trade that in for the, the semi-final loss that we had. Um, yeah. we, we had great people at the club. They're an unbelievable group of guys and it was led by guys like Cam Gooden that were just, and, and Emmett Nahr, who, um, oh, yeah. and Nilla Warren, um, you know, guys bought in and, and they played together. They played the right way. Um, we were the best defensive team in the league with um, with Wellington, who were, you know, they had an, they had an amazing roster. But, you know, we came came close to them every time we played them. And, they were, you know, it was an absolute arm wrestle. We played them twice at the end of the season and um, came down to the last minute. We just we just didn't get the chocolates on, on, on those nights. But, um, yeah, like, I loved our group and I'm hoping that, some of the the cultural, the positive cultural, um, uh, I guess, behaviours that we had instilled in the program that we can continue to build on that, and we've sort of recruited that way. And that's why Sean Bruce, who uh, who signed with us, we think he, um, you know, Kemi, Kemi unfortunately wasn't able to come back for us um, as yeah. much as he loved it. So, you know, we'll get with Sean Bruce. We'll get a guy that will will lead the locker room. Will be tough and um, and you know really help help. The uh, some of the New Zealand guys, some of the younger guys uh, in particular. Yeah. Um, so we're really, really excited about that, and we've um, we've obviously just announced Jack Salt, um, who's a, a very prominent New Zealand big man, and they yeah. don't grow on trees, corks. You don't know of them. So um, he's overcome his own little challenges recently. You know, signed his first pro contract in Poland, and then got glandular fever and yeah. a few little complications, but. Um, his back training and getting healthy, and so he um, he's going to bring leadership and winning and um, you know into our locker room and practice court and the environment. Um, he's gonna, he's going to bring a lot of positive things that's going to set set the standard high. So we're pretty excited about that as well. And and also coming off that that 2019 NCAA championship, playing for Virginia. Yeah, yeah. No, he. Um, I mean, and the. And people kind of get caught up in the numbers sometimes and rarely is he wasn't a prominent scorer and, and that's not, you know, that, that doesn't mean that he can't help us win in New Zealand. He brings so much of the intangibles um, to to a locker room, into a team. And so, and he's, he's a big unit and he's highly motivated himself to work on some stuff individually. Um, so that's always the balance, you know, like having guys that want to come and be highly motivated to improve their games individually. But then... Yeah. Um, ultimately, put the team first, and you know it's definitely one of the the Andre Lamanis lessons is trying to always find that balance. You know, um, guys, it gets difficult at times when you're not playing, or 
um, you don't you feel like you can contribute or contribute more. But um, you know, guys like Mika Vakona, who still find a way to to uh, to impact games and help teams be successful, like um, they're the sort of guys that you know that we want guys that can help mm. help and put the team first. You're signing him as well. Oh, I'd love to, mate. If you got an A, I'd have to run that by um, Ness, I think. Ness um, and the kids. He, uh, I'm sure he probably wants to play a little bit of hoops before the Tall Blacks, so might have to put a call out to him. But um, yeah. <laughs> nice, uh, yeah. So I guess um, maybe we could get into a little bit of technical stuff. I read your the article you contributed to recently in the ADB Hoops uh, magazine on building a defensive system and and in my podcast so far I've probably talked a little bit about offensive style of play but haven't really spent a great deal of time talking about defensive style of play and and that's exactly what you went through in that article and it was very well done too by the way I think um, mm-hmm. very good takeaway points and, and plenty there for people to think about but in terms of just covering off on, on what your philosophy is there like could you give a bit of a rundown of, of what you talked about there? Yeah i um I think, like you said, like um, coaching offense is hard. There's, there's no doubt. Um, people often believe it's the fun end of the floor and, and, and all that, but still, um, it's people so focused at the offensive end of the floor, and, and it's and it's true. You got to put the ball in the hole to win the game. So, um, you know, a lot of energies go into that, but I believe you equally got to be invested in in the other side of the floor. So, I've always had a balanced approach with the teams. Um, that I've coached um, and I like teams that are adaptable so um, meaning that you know you'll hear coaches refer to I'm a defensive coach or I'm an offensive coach I you know I'm not really a big advocate of that I just think you know both there's both sides of the game and you pretty much have equal possessions through the course of a game and so you need to be invested at both ends of the floor and um, I think the defensive side of obviously being around Aaron Fern you know he was a big pack pack um, coach and you know the influences that he had he was a grindy gritty he'd love to win a game you know 55 50 it wouldn't bother him um, yeah. and so I did take away a lot a lot of learnings from that sort of approach um, and then you know Andre's space has been a lot more around being quite disruptive and finding you know a hundred different ways in the game just to kind of wear teams down and chip away and, and find different ways to to impact the opposition so uh, and uh, I guess a guy I mentioned earlier, Paul Mellett, that was probably one thing that I really learned from him. I thought I coached defense well as a young guy. I thought I did probably a lot of things well as a young coach. Um, but um, And then as you know, you realize uh, the more you think you know, the less you know. And yeah. Uh, um, yeah, Paul was just amazing. Just the ability to hold players accountable and be passionate and invested at that end of the floor. Um, so, you know, putting together a group, uh, you know, I didn't feel like individually we necessarily had the best defensive players and not to be disrespectful and they, they know where their games are at. But, you know, Emmett Nair is not known as a lockdown point guard. You know, he's an unbelievably intelligent ball distributing guard. Um, and he had a few things with his body that he was working through. And, um, I mean, Kemi Gooden, definitely. He's, um, he's, he's a very good defender and very smart player. But our a New Zealand guy that was um, quite quite athletic, but, you know, quite quite raw when it came to defensive reads and decisions. So I think individually we um, we were a bit hit and miss um, yep. with, with guys. So it just kind of reinforces the point that, you know, you have to work as a collective at that end of the floor. If you don't have trust and communication, then um, it's very hard to 
um, to be a grind out good team. Like you need to be able to to string quality possessions of defense together and, and be bought in at that end of the floor. So um, some of the things like I, I feel we have an identity and I feel like the style of play stops in that article and, you know, what shots are we prepared to give up? Um, the analytics, you know, obviously give you the, all that sort of support. So, you know, analytics have had a, a big influence on, on the reasons why we would teach skills a certain way and what sort of closeouts we do and, you know, where we want the ball pushed. Um, so that's all part of it. Um, what talent you actually have. I mean, you've got to have some ability to protect the paint and ability to go the ball um, and then to get through screens. So, I mean, every every coach, uh, I think it was David Blatt said something, I'm paraphrasing, but something around, you know, world hunger and famine and uh, the water crisis and then it'll pick and roll. They're all the things that um, a, a world crisis. So, um, <laughs> middle pick and roll and pick and roll defense is uh, is every coach's um, headache because the talent's so good offensively. Um, yeah. So what I've tried to attack it from, and it's in that article, things around how can we simplify the language uh, so when we talk to each other on the court, it's succinct, it's quick, and guys understand what the cues are, and yeah. it's all about trying to minimise you know, the reaction time defensively. Right. And every everything that you do defensively, the chess game, the offense has a counter and they have a read and, and that. So I think players, if they understand that we are going to take a you know, this away, which leads to, you know, giving up this, if you give them the um the end game of what you're prepared to give up, then it's a bit easier because it's quite an anxious thing, you know, for a guard to be trying to chase chase off a screen and be behind or on the side of a, of a very talented playmaker on the opposition. Um, yeah. So they, they definitely know bigs, you know, if bigs have got to come up and help on a pick and roll, like exactly how high and, you know, what angle that they help on. And, you know, that's all going to influence what good players are going to make reads at the, you know, against that offensively. And, and so bigs need to know they've got to have some reassurance that, hey, if he beats me to the outside, that's actually okay. Um, so that's sort of the stuff that, um, you know, we kind of put into the fabric of, of you know, meshing our, our foundation rules together. Yeah. Um, but then it comes on the practice court. And like anything, I think it's the biggest, the number one thing is our practice time's premium because it's such a short season. Mm. And so just like you have style of play games on offense where you might manipulate scores and stuff, we do the same. So at the defensive end, you know, if, if a defensive is a focus, it's always – to a, to an outcome, so it might be you know three stops in a row wins it, or um, if you if you get your stop, you get it, you get a a stop. But if it's a style of play stop, you know if they miss a mid range contested jumper, we might keep count that as two stops, or you know we put a premium on dead ball deflections. So you know if you can get two deflections in a possession, you know nothing, not rocket science, but just um, just having some sort of incentivized scoring system so the guys really buy in. I think that's something. Yeah. Um, and then the invariable breakdowns, you know, when one player said, oh, I called that screen and the other's like, no, I, I didn't hear it. Like just solving it and yeah. you know, mediating those things. And it's not about whether you're right or wrong. It's just, you know, was it communicated? Did you hear the message? And then, you know, moving on, moving yeah. on. Nothing, nothing's ever personal. So I think that's something that on the practice court is a collective effort. But ultimately, if it's driven by players on the court then you're in a better space and we were really lucky with Isaiah Wilkins and and Kemi Glidden last year to really drive that for us 
Yeah. And so do you find that, you know, that focus on, on, you know, having a bit of a plan for how, how you're going to get organized on defense for all the players on the floor that you're able to provide feedback to them sort of instantaneously or do they just sort of know, you know, because you've got that structure in place, they know when it hasn't quite worked the way it should have or the way you planned and, and yeah, they're able to move on pretty quick. Yeah, I think, I mean, players know, invariably they they know majority of the times, but I mean, that's where I guess the, the little role that we can play in games is to coach that part of it and uh, and to give feedback and whether that's, you know, we, we live film it and, and have our, our, our live coding and have the capacity to watch watch tape, um, tape quickly. But I think the bench has a big responsibility to stay engaged in the game. Um, and, you know, it, is it, you know, was the height of the, the bigs help on the pick and roll? You know, was he, was he just too far off based on what we said we were going to do? Or, you know, was the angle of his body too open and, you know, he allowed the opposition guard to, to snake dribble or come back through, come back through and cross the street. Like it's those little things, um, yeah. you know, as the hand, hands are a massive part of it. You know, the torque, your footwork, your efficient footwork, um, you know, your long closeouts, everyone, you know, closing out long from the paint to the corner, the corner three, such a big, you know, everyone has their offensive hat on around trying to get, you know, layups, foul line, kick out threes and corner threes in particular. So that's a big, big part of the modern game. So how are you teaching closeouts in the corner? Yeah. You know, having great discussion with, um, you know, Andres, who I think he's brilliant. You know, you can talk in a, you can watch video and cheat and slow things down and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, having discussions with your players and saying, if you're, if you're on the elbow and just happen to be your closeout to the long corner, like, can you, can you get there? What's the best, best way to you to get there to ultimately we're taking that shot away, you know, get them off the line and then, then we move on to the next thing. So yeah. um, having the players give feedback. So then once you've agreed, you can you can hold them accountable to it. Yeah, yeah. I think they're um, great insights and, you know, it's all, it's all about coming up with something that works, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, you've got to be realistic too. Like, you know, some teams, if you're, if you're a deep team, you know, in, in a perfect world, and I think we've got that this year again. We had a deep team last year. So um, I'm definitely an advocate of... Um, um, you know, Andre's sort of belief in trying to play deep and just wearing them. Bevo's the same in the way he he goes about his stuff. Um, is you know, you wear you wear teams down over the course of the game, and mm-hmm. you know, hope that that accumulation of work and you know, a lot of coaches wear the same. You know, three stops in a row, or your sort of little variation of that, like everyone stats that sort of stuff, or how many hustle plays you make. But um, whatever you value that you give that feedback to the players and it's, and it's, and it's instant feedback. Yeah. You know, we got, we got players, co- you know, coaching how many stops we've gotten and, and um, being cheerleaders on the bench and being excited about the defensive end. And, uh, and I guess the biggest one is, you know, when you do play really well defensively and sometimes the offense is just better, mm-hmm. it's not to put your head down and not lose belief. Um, that, that's probably the thing because it's about the pressure that you can build. They might make one big play and make a tough contested shot. But, um, you know, if you keep defending at that level, then, you know, it's hard to make those shots over and over through the through the course of the game. So the belief's a, a big part of it. The trust and the belief um, mm. is, is a huge part. So um, we, uh, we try and use video uh, where appropriate, but ultimately on the court, it's oh, I think that's the thing at practice. It's the, it's the number one thing. Yeah, um, it's a safe environment for guys to really ask questions or get feedback on their position or their communication and, and that sort of thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to ask you a little bit about, I'm just not sure if it's something that you still do, but listen to the uh, basketball podcast with Chris Oliver and Aaron Fern talked about the development of the uh, defensive transition tagging up system that you guys came up with up in Cairns. Do, yeah. do, do you still um, you still do that like these days? And and I guess I just wanted to get a bit of the background to how that came about. And if you're still using it, yeah, like have you tweaked it since then? Or uh, is it something that you'd recommend people have a look at? Yeah, look, no, so absolutely. Um, and that was something that I remember, you know, part of our broader thing in Cairns was we knew we were a small market team. We always had to probably take a risk on an import, um, and not in regards to character, but more just, um, you know, that could be a younger import like a Tory Craig, um, um, uh, you know, guys that, guys that Rich Melzer, who was a great player in the league, but got injured. So like, you know, we had to find ways to be able to compete with the, the big budget, big market teams. And mm. they, that also carried over to the, the X's and O's. Like Aaron was a very, very, um, you know, Guy Malloy influenced coach. And, um, you know, it was very crystal clear in his head how he wanted the game played. And I guess the, the tagging up came about from just learnings of, you know, Damien Martin of all people. He actually has, has a lot of, and I don't even know if he knows it, but there was something that he, always did was any anyone that got a read defensive rebound he was there swiping yep. and, and in your face and um so i guess there was just different different discussions philosophical discussions over a period of time about what can we do on d that's a little bit different yep. to the norm that can um, ultimately put pressure on other teams and so um i went away and kind of looked at some different D trans schemes and you know Fernie had his traditional way the old four five crash and you know safety and long rebounder and, and that and Guy Malloy if you ever his brilliant his brilliant mind uh, you do you do need a degree though to understand sometimes um, you know some of some of his like the the old the old D trans he used to run so I was like, it's got to be simple surely there's something simple so the the premise came out of when the ball is shot if you by function have um, executed offensively you should shoot a predictable shot. Yeah. And then the second part of that was if um, by function you execute offense, you should force either a rotation or a mismatch to get that numbers advantage to get an open shot. So um, we started going through and looking at possessions and um, and looking at, you know, like how many times when a ball went up, did you actually have the point guard guarding the point guard, the five guarding the five, the four guard, you know, like those clean possessions aren't, aren't that common. Yeah. Um, you know, teams are switching a lot of on balls or they're switching low shot clock and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, so I put a lot of time into the research and, and looking at that and basically went to Aaron and said, why don't we look at this? And then he was challenging and asked about, well, what happens if this and what happens if that? And, and that's a, um, it was a bit of basically a research project that I went back and gave a lot more thought to. Mm-hmm. And over time we um, collaborated and, and worked on things like, you know, looking at how often does a player, a post player or a guard drive to the rim yep. and end up over the baseline. So that's where, you know, we had our foundation rules of when the ball is in the air, no one has possession of it. And if anything, because it's been a predictable shot, we've anticipated the shots going up. Plus, it's a lot easier to move forward than to move back and block out. Yeah. So that was the whole tagging up thing. And it was an AFL term. I was watching AFL um, practices for a bit of um, – um, stuff as well and so that's where the tag up term came from yeah. and then and then the nuances about being in the corners coming in over the top um, 
or through the elbows, depending on, on, on how you want to coach it. Um, and then the thing around baseline spills um, and leak outs. Yep. You know, Daniel, Daniel Johnson from Adelaide, you know, he, he's a, you know, we would say cherry picker. Um, he would say he's a great rim runner, you yeah. know, but there's definitely guys that take off, you know, they take off. And so actually coaching the technique of tagging as opposed to flying by or crashing. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, that, um, that sort of thing just built. And I think the first year, the, the whole thing about it is people confuse it as they feel it's an offensive rebounding strategy but it's not it's about rebounding coverage and it's it's about being on the front foot defensively when the ball's in the air and if as a byproduct um you can get an offensive rebound then that's a good thing yeah because the the detractors would say what's the you might end up getting a few more o boards a game and increase your rebounding percentage but what is your what are you giving up at the other end yeah and we, we had a lot of um, debates with, you know, it was a counterintuitive for players to all do that. And they were concerned about the defensive transition and worried about giving up layups. But, you know, after enough games and video and coaching and, and that, I think probably through the course of the first season, we put it in, which was, um, you know, the year we went to the grand final the first time. We, um, we started to get a lot more buying. Uh, and yeah. then... From then on in, it was it was okay, and it obviously took off. Um, I pushed hard with the Boomers um, to to put a case forward, but um, and we had great discussion about it. But it just you know we had NBA players and playing eighty two games a year, and and that they're definitely just not conditioned. There was no way in a short a short preparation time with the Boomers that we were going to get guys like Andrew Bogut to to play full court D for ninety four feet. It just didn't make didn't make sense. So, yeah, um, we had a bit of an adapted version of that but um yeah i think it's got to suit suit you suit your your personality yeah um and if you're a defensive minded coach that likes to get up the floor and then make reads and run and jump in the backcourt and do those sorts of things and i think it's a great um a great way to go about it. and i actually think it's a very good thing to do for, for young basketball teams for, for teenage kids because it it gets them playing defense earlier yeah, yeah, and yeah, I mean, it's probably nothing worse when you're watching um, youth teams that, you know, everyone matches up somewhere up, you know, after halfway or sometimes at the top of the keyway and you think, well, what about the rest of the court? I've seen enough under-12s and under-14s. Like, it's the biggest <laughs> athletic kids. It's a track meet regardless. So whether you tag up or you get back, it doesn't, you know, if you've got big, strong kids or quick kids, it's um, you, you know, you're a mile, mile ahead of the other teams anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but... It's been a it's been a good thing. And New Zealand's actually adopted the concept um, in their junior national stuff. It's oh, it's funny hearing other NBL teams have their version. It's called Jam Up um, in, okay. in a few other a few other spaces, and it's evolved. You know, with greater video and more repetitions and and learnings. Um, some of the traditional defensive transition drills, like I remember we had a, a laugh at it at the bullets. Like Dre had this great battery of D trans drills, but it actually wasn't. Um, conducive to actually tagging up and being on the front foot. It was more of your, you know, one on the ball and someone get back on the basket. So yeah. they became our um, leak out and baseline spill drills. And then we uh, we had to find ways to find ways and new, new drills to coach um, the concepts of, of tagging up. And it's like anything you you start with, you know, one on one or two on two, three on three, and you, yeah. you kind of you kind of build it up. But um, yeah, no, big believer in it. But it's also influenced other things around your traditional. Where you know you write your starters up on the board, and then you write 
who they're going to match up on and that. So we've, we've over the years, the teams I've been around now, like it's the matchups themselves are, are not emphasised at all. It's more around, hey, here's the opposition players. Which yeah. guys are we getting left? Which guys are we getting right? Who do we close? Who are the shooters? Yeah. And so and that was always the thing, um, having bigs and littles meetings and all that stuff. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the bigs need to know what the opposition guard does, you know, just yeah. as much as yeah. say. Um, you know, and with this sort of this modern game of multi-positional and almost positionless, there's a lot more coaches playing that way. It's even more relevant, I think. So yeah. I think the jamming up and the tagging up sort of stuff definitely um, was a, helped in that space. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think that's a bit of an innovative way to think about it too. Like just watching the game we were watching last night, Brisbane and New Zealand, I, I saw Matty Hodgson closing out on one of the perimeter shooters, you know, like, and I thought, well, he actually did a good job. He, he was, it was the, the left-handed shooter and, and Matty closed out on the right side and, and affected the shot. So more of that awareness, I think, you know, like it's almost like a, a team awareness, isn't it, of like uh, who can do what, not necessarily just focused on your own matchup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, smart oh, coaches are too clever and players are too talented now. Like whatever coverage you put in, uh, it happened at the end of the game last night. Lamar was in foul trouble, so they isolated Hobson on on the right wing, and uh, you know he made made a big play. They spread the floor because they had the, they had the shooters around mm. around and had the dunk the dunker there. So on on the baseline. So like whether it's a simple thing like that, whether it's uh, the bullets were trying to I guess get some movement to to get Lamar an advantage to make a play. But, um, you know, coaches will have their strategies around, you know, finding an advantage. Wherever, there's, wherever there is an advantage, they'll, they'll, they'll attack it. So um, you can't com- – you're never going to completely plug that hole. But if there's an awareness like uh, Matty Hodgson ends up having a guard outside the three-point line against the guard, like there's language and there's positional defense to help to help that. Yeah. So, um, and the margins are fine. There was a possession that stood out last night where the middle pick and roll um, the breakers in the third quarter were starting to go to work a bit and the guys off the ball with Brisbane were a bit attached and then for a few possessions they kind of just sat in the pack just that little bit more and they, the breakers were just good enough to to bait those help defenders and whip it out and, and, and Delaney ends up hitting a couple of threes um, mm. Yeah. On, on closeout, so the margins are so fine. You know, like the guy, the guy on the ball could have chased down just that little bit harder. The guy helping and hunting off the ball could have released a fraction earlier, and like that's the stuff you drill because the read was right. The execution, and we're talking tenths of seconds, is is the margin is the difference, and then the skill whether the shot goes in or not. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, Mick, you're out here in a, in Brizzy uh, this weekend um, with the, the Mainland Eagles Basketball Academy. So that's another group that I think you're involved with, with uh, Canterbury. So what's that program about and uh, how's your tour been so far? Uh, the tour's been fantastic. The, um, the Mainland Eagles, the Mainland's a reference to the South Island of New Zealand. Yeah. So um, we have an academy, the Eagles Academy, that... Um, is a tiered academy. It's a, similar to the NPP or SPP program over here in Australia. Right. Um, athletes are selected in the squads. It's more about their daily training environment and um, individual development and, and concepts. It's um, They get their team fixed playing for their schools um, and, and the rep program. Yep. So, um, you know, we identify all the kids at a national standard or close to uh, and, and just invest in them. So the group we've got out here is um, four or five of the guys that play for me in the Rams, um, often the 
the sort of the guys that are the, you know the the younger guys in that that program. Um, so for them, it's just a bit early preseason. They get a chance to play some games, um, and then the Eagles guys are either just finished high school or in their last year of high school, and they're all have ambitions of going to college and or going to the Australian NBL. So for them to get um, you know just exposure uh, at that higher level, um, that was sort of the whole premise of the tour so mm. we played the queensland boys we went down to canberra we got to play the nba global academy and then we played the canberra gunners and then we flew back up here and um played the bullets cj put a group together with the bullets so um, oh, nice. we've got a got a game tonight against um the mighty pirates that's right um, your old team yeah so no nah, it's been great like as you know like people are just want to help like they're they're just you know, you, you put a call out for, for help with courts or um, score bench or whatever, you know, like the basketball community is, is great. And I know it's a busy day too with all the rep basketball and, and stuff going on. So, um, yeah, we've, we've, we've had nothing but great support since we've been here. Yeah, that's great. And, and you know, like it's – I think that's a really great way to develop those young kids too, you know, take them around and, and give them some, some games against some good opposition. I would imagine that NBA Global Academy – uh, team would have been pretty solid. Oh, yeah. they, they're young. You walked out there and it was like, wow, you know, they're doing windmills and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> These are, they're in that academy because, you know, they, they've got NBA potential. They're young. They're all only, um, I think, about 17, I think it was, right. 16, yep. 18. But when you look down the other end of the court, if you worry about that stuff, you you probably feel like you're going to get pumped by 50 because they're, um, you know, they're just long. The guards are massive and or, the, or, or strong in the um, – you know, just real like a couple of African kids, a kid from Egypt, um, and some just just NBA length kids, and uh, but they are kids. So um, yeah, we probably had our best game. We actually had to fly from Brisbane, um, got in, had lunch at the institute, and a very quick rest and away you go, and no scouting or anything, just <laughs> on the fly, figure it out, and yeah. um, and you know that's a little bit in the New Zealand NBL. You can often fly in the morning of game day just because the flights aren't overly long. Yeah. Now, but um, it's kind of part of it. You know, you've got to be able to look after your body and fly, and then then back up and play. So um, yeah, we uh, the score. I mean, the scores are irrelevant, but we, it was good to to win a close game um, against those guys. And that was actually quite a, a free flowing, up tempo game. A bunch of young kids on the court, and then the next night we played the Canberra Gunners, and it was just physical, old, you know, hardened men. Yeah. Um, and um, the same thing. It was great for these young kids to have to deal with that because uh, it was an awesome hit out. It was, it was a low scoring fug fest, and um, that's basketball. You know, one night's one sort of game, the next night you've got to be adaptive and deal with, with whatever happens the next night. So, um, the Bullets guys were a bit too much for us. Young Tyrell Harrison and Cal Dalton and, and that. They, um, and Kem Goldfinch, as they should. Um, but that was a really good learning experience for our, our high school kids. Um, you know, everything's just, everything happened quicker and there's blocks and deflections and the game was faster. So that was a really good, really good experience for, for our young guys. Yeah, and you, you're seeing um, good development with probably some of those guys that you would have recruited to the Bullets um, a year or two ago in, um, in the young guys that you played? Oh, that's, I mean, it's always, that's why you do this thing, you know, like everyone has a bit of an ego or some selfish motivation. Like I, I feel good about my contribution um, to the sport if you're just seeing young people like, do well and uh, and overcome some adversity. You know, all, everyone's had their, their challenges. Like Carl Dalton's had his 
his setbacks and, and, and some injuries and Tyrell Harrison's the same and Cammy Goldfinch went over to the States and, um, and has come back and, and everyone's got their story and their journey. So, you know, we just play, play a role in facilitating that. And I mean, Will Magnus is a, a great example, you know, maybe mm. 12 months ago with all the injuries and just not, you know, really ultimately not living up to expectation um, and, and being close to his ceiling. Um, you know, he was really at a crossroads and um, a bit of health, you know, a good period of time where he got healthy, um, yeah. he started to get some confidence. And then obviously Sammy McKinnon at the Brisbane Capitals plus the environment at the Bullets, you know, just nurtured him and um, supported him. And, and now you're seeing, you know, what he, he is capable of. So um, that's, that's the rewarding thing. Yeah. You know, that's absolutely the rewarding thing when, Cam Tregar's down there commentating last night on, on the NBL. You know, he used to run around as a 12-year-old and, and follow us around uh, down in Logan. Um, myself and a few mates playing basketball, you know, he used to hang around, hang around and, and, and watch us play. And then he came through and obviously had a lot to do with him and Reese Martin and, uh, and oh, Tim Conrad who's still playing. Like, when you see those guys come through um, and, and still involved in some capacity or getting having their love for the game, um, you know, whether it's a as a fan, I sat in the stands last night, which is really difficult, but it was great yeah, yeah. to see all the, the ex-Bullets guys up, up there or sponsors from, from different clubs and yeah. um, people that you've either coached or been around with. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How, how is that experience um, sitting in the stands as opposed to, you know, in the change room? Absolutely horrible because you, <laughs> you, you sort of – yeah, maybe it's the false sense of when you're actually on staff and you're on the on the sideline and you think that your opinion that you're throwing at Andre is helping. Um, maybe it's how ego, I don't know, but you're so 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 locked into the job and the scout and feedback and it's just um, you feel like you're zoned in and you're actually contributing to the to, to the group. But when you're just sitting in the grandstand and you still got that connection, like I oh, just just getting angry at bloody this close out or that close out or one more pass or this and that and then yeah. So uh, it's um it was been kind of weird sitting. I've watched a couple of games now since we've been over here, but. Um, you know, I'm happy for the club, like the move to the Nissan Arena and, and just the stuff behind the scenes. Like the brand was really strong and it was tough when it first came back. Um, it's tough on the court, um, you know, when you're not getting a ton of wins and, yeah. and that early on and, and just trying to get the faith and the trust back in the basketball community and, and that. So that, that stadium's noisy and there's a, there's a true following. It's a really good experience for... For, um, for for the fans and the, and the, and the, the business partners that, that come along to the game, so um, I'm really happy for where the where the club is at, um, uh, you know, right now after you know a few few years back in the league. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think you know it must be great too to catch up with so many of the people that you you're uh, involved with, you know, when you're here in Brisbane and just sort of seeing how things are getting along. Yeah, it's. It's the fun, it's our social part, you know. Like I don't yeah. go to church, mate. I'm not not a religious guy. I, I, I believe in doing the right thing. But you know, if you're a church person that goes to church every week, that's how you catch up with people that you're like-minded. Or if you you yeah. love having a punt on the races, and you know, you spend the afternoon, um, you know, at the at the TAB with your mates or whatever, then so be it. That's what you do. But for me, it's just basketball. I'm a basketball junkie, and I love it. So that's sort of the connection point that brings. You know, I get the chance to, to meet, you know, guys, uh, Dave Malik, who's, um, you know, CFO out at the Brisbane airport. Like we went to college together a long, long time ago and right. ran into him just randomly the other day. And, um, 
you know, there's there's another 20 people I saw last night at the game I didn't actually speak to, but just to see that, you know, mates that used to knock about with and that now they've got their kids coming through and, um, and, and even some of the older guys that coached us when we were younger that, um, that are still coming to games and just get just as angry when they miss a block out and <laughs> when they miss an open shot or whatever. But um, that, that part's that part, Steve McLeod, Luke Grubel and Roger Smith were sitting there last night, you know, some yeah. absolute stalwarts of the Brisbane Bullets and have supported through the good and the bad days. So to see those yeah. guys, you know, the three of them sitting together still watching games is, um, was unreal. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, mate, I'd better let you go. I know you've got a training session this afternoon. So um, just wanted to thank you for your time. And I think definitely I'll catch up with you again, maybe uh, either during your season or after the season and see how things went. But um, certainly appreciate, you know, your, your knowledge and, and your sharing your just your joy of the game, I think. Like I've known you for a few years now and coached against you as well. And you've always been, you know, willing to talk about basketball and, and just share info and, and from my point of view it's something I really appreciate so thanks again Mick for uh, making the time and uh, all the best for the rest of your tour out here no worries mate Thank, yeah. thanks so much for having me uh, having me on the, on the podcast really appreciate it and I think what you're doing is great so um, the people that you've had on it and the people you got lined up yeah, keep, keep just sharing the game and having those conversations I think people really appreciate it yeah, yeah, it's good fun. And, you know, like, again, no shortage of people to talk to and, and just getting people's perspectives for me um, is really, really interesting. So all the best for um, 2020 season over there, mate, for the Canterbury Rams and looking forward to seeing how you go. Thank, thanks a lot, Corks. All right, mate. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can get in touch with me through my email at australianbasketballcoach at gmail.com. That's australianbasketballcoach, all one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. Also, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at OzBballCoach and also on Facebook with Australian Basketball Coach. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you and thanks again for listening. (laughs) 